How many of you uh, this past week uh, were able to get outside and enjoy the, the great weather we had this week? Yeah, most of you, hopefully all of you. Uh, I mean, you don't get this uh, nice days in the middle of November very often, do you? Um, uh, I love the summer-like weather that we have been able to enjoy uh, here in, in November. And I think, man, God is so good. <laughs> God is so good. I was sitting around in my backyard this past week um, around my fire pit, um, and I was thinking, you know, life, life just doesn't get much better than this. Um, I mean, the warm fall evening, uh, the, the beautiful sunset that I watched, um, I mean, the, the roaring fire, the only thing I was missing were marshmallows and chocolate and, uh, you know, the graham crackers. Uh, only thing I was missing. So you can imagine... How strange this passage that the Apostle Paul wrote uh, that we're going to be looking at this morning felt to me. Paul was talking about this dark world, uh, spiritual forces of evil. But from where I was sitting there in my backyard this past week around that fire pit, I mean, life seemed, well, I mean, it seemed perfect. It seemed uh, beautiful. It, It seemed peaceful. I mean, everything looked so good, and it was difficult to imagine that we are uh, living in a battle zone. But we are. Although life this past week seemed, to me at least, more uh, like a uh, Norman Rockwell painting, the things that you can't put on a canvas, my thoughts, uh, my struggles... My fears, my doubts, you know, my dreams, my goals. They're in the midst of a fierce battle. I mean, from the time I wake up in the morning to the time I, you know, lay my head back down on that pillow at night, um, I'm engaged in combat, in a battle, hard fought and not easily won, a a, a war um, in which the casualty count can include every person I come in contact with day in and day out. I want to suggest to you that it's the same for you. You, too, live in a battle zone. I mean, life is a struggle. (laughs) And whether you're aware of it or not, um, every moment throughout the day, there are things happening around you that you cannot see with the natural eyes, but are nevertheless all too real. Listen, I'm not talking about ghosts and goblins, (laughs) uh, but about what Paul makes reference to in the last chapter of Ephesians. You and I, we are in the midst of a spiritual warfare. I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. Ephesians chapter 6. We have been in... Uh, this book of Ephesians for a while now. And by the way, I got to tell you, we have a number of these booklets uh, that we want to encourage and, and get in your hands. They've been put together. We made them for this series specifically for the book of Ephesians. We're coming to the end of our series in this book of Ephesians. And uh, so there's a bunch of them out there in the foyer. Grab one or two. Use them for your own personal devotions. Hand them out to somebody. Encourage someone to go through them. Um, just take some time to reflect Um, back on our series through Ephesians. So I encourage you to grab one of those booklets uh, before you leave this morning. But we've been in the study of Ephesians for a while now. 
And throughout this letter, uh, we found that the Apostle Paul has encouraged us, right, uh, with the, the spiritual blessings that are ours because we are in Christ. I mean, in Christ, the, the walls have been torn down. In Christ, our salvation and, and victory has been, has been guaranteed. In Christ, we are a, a new person, and you and I, we've been adopted into a, a, a new family. And because we're in Christ and we belong to this new family, there are new expectations on us. Here at First Free, what we do is we call those expectations, we call them extraordinary norms, by the way. <laughs> um, our lives should stand out um, like a light in the darkness, Paul tells us. We have taken off the old self because we're in Christ and now we are to put on that new self. But I got to tell you, none of that is automatic. It doesn't just happen because you are a believer in Christ. Um, on this side of eternity, uh, there's a spiritual battle that's going on. Right living just, I mean, it, it doesn't just happen. Opposition is certain. And you and I, I got to tell you, we need to be ready. We need to be prepared. Look with me, chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle, here it is, against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul here is describing a war zone. He's describing a struggle. Literally, he's talking about a wrestling match here. We are wrestling, Paul says, against a supernatural enemy. In verse 12 there, in fact, do you notice here Paul uses that word against five times? Five times. The first time um, is to tell us what our struggle is not primarily against. It is not against flesh and blood. Paul, now understand this, Paul is not saying that we don't struggle on the human level. No, what Paul is saying is our primary struggle is with spiritual forces. Our primary enemies are not human, but rather uh, cosmic intelligences. The other four times that Paul uses that word against here in, in uh, verse 12 um, He's describing the four separate ways that this uh, same enemy, that, that is the spiritual forces of evil that are, that are in the realms of, of the, the heavenly realms. Listen, I, I would suggest that if Paul was writing today, you know, the editor would make Paul make some changes to the sentence because he uses that word against too many times. But see, I think Paul does that specifically because he wants to emphasize that in the Christian life that you and I live, that we are really up against it. It's a real battle. Our struggle is against a very potent, vicious, supernatural enemy. 
And one of the things we need to remember is that the uh, Ephesian converts that Paul was originally writing to here would have been familiar <laughs> with that, uh, how potent and vicious these supernatural enemies were. I mean, you go back to Acts chapter 19, and we can read there about the Jewish exorcists um, in Ephesus that were attempting to drive out an evil spirit by using the name of Jesus. And what happened is this evil spirit overpowered uh, those exorcists and, 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 and forced them to run away naked and bleeding, the writer of Acts tells us. For these new believers who had dabbled at one time in their life in the occult and, uh, and then had taken their scrolls and then thrown them into a bonfire to destroy them, this warning that Paul is giving here at the end of Ephesians, this warning of who they were up against, I mean, that would have come to them as no surprise. They have experienced it. So you ask, well... <laughs> Okay, Sutton, uh, what exactly um, is a spiritual battle? Well, let me suggest to you that every time you're presented with an opportunity to entertain a lustful thought, you have entered a spiritual battlefield. Every time you have a chance to do something vindictive, <laughs> um, you're on the battlefield. Every time you have a chance to say something that is harsh or, or, or hurtful, you are in the midst of a battle. Every time you toy with the, the notion that you're just a little bit better than those other people around you, you're surrounded by enemy fire. Every time you encounter a person in need, you're engaged in combat. Life, friends, is a spiritual battle and there is a force at work in this world that does not want you or I to do good. There's a force at work in this world that does not want you to live for Jesus Christ. There's a force in this world that's at work that doesn't want you to minister to others in the name of Christ. There's a force at work in this world that doesn't want you to reflect God's love and God's mercy to those around you. And that force will do whatever it takes to make sure that you don't do it. <laughs> and Paul's point here in this last portion of Ephesians chapter 6 um, is to make sure that we are aware of this battle. You ask, well, what about the victory that we're having Christ? I mean, didn't the Apostle Paul, didn't he talk about that in chapter 1 at the, at the very beginning of this letter? Didn't he make the, the point that Jesus is superior uh, being that exists, that he is the name above all names, king of, uh, above all kings, Lord above all lords? Yes, he did. <laughs> I mean, our victory in this struggle... Uh, the, but the battle, there's a victory in this struggle that we have. The battle is secure. It's already been accomplished by Jesus' death and, and his resurrection. Yes, yet even though that victory is secure, there's still a battle to be fought. And without his help, I got to tell you, we are guaranteed to lose. 
D.L. Moody once said, when I was converted, I made this mistake. I thought the battle was already mine, the victory already won, the crown already in my grasp. I thought the old things had passed away, that all things had become new, and my old corrupt nature, the old life was gone. (laughs) But I found out after serving Christ for a few months that conversion was only like enlisting in the army that there was a battle on hand. Listen, if you are in Christ, you have been enlisted in God's army. There is a battle at hand. But let me make this perfectly clear, okay? Our enemy might be strong, but our Savior is stronger. Don't get the impression that this uh, fight, that there's this fight between God and devil and it's a close match. (laughs) The devil's been defeated, friends. He's been beaten and stomped and uh, uh, humiliated. He has no power in your life. So don't you begin to, to moan and groan about how oppressive the devil is. Yes, we are in a battle. But we must remember that victory has been guaranteed. So the question really is, then how can we prevail in this battle? How can we be prepared uh, to fight this battle? What what can we do? What do we need to do in order to to fight against such forces? Well, Paul here, he gives us a plan. Doesn't that just leave us simple? He, He gives us a plan. In fact, he gives us a winning strategy. Look with me at verse 10. Again, finally, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He starts off with this this plan. He starts by calling us to be strong. That's his plan. That's the beginning of his plan. Be strong. That we need to be strong in in, in the midst of this, this battle. Now, you have to understand, this call for us to be strong, it's not only to be strong at at one time, just once. Rather, we are to be strong continually. Um, Because, listen, the fight that we're in, it's not a a quick fight. I mean, it's not a blitzkrieg. We're not able to shock and awe Satan, okay? Rather, Paul's plan calls for us to be strong in all of our Christian life. uh, Every day, every moment, be strong. You say, wow, (laughs) hey, great advice, Paul. I mean, that's kind of like telling my son, uh, when he asked me to play tennis, just tell him, oh, well, go hit the ball. That's how you play tennis, just get the ball. (laughs) I mean, it seems a little simplistic, right? Tell us just to, to, to be strong. And to be honest, it didn't seem all that helpful. Be strong. I mean, how can we be strong? Well, Paul tells us, he says, um, First of all, he says, understand the source of your strength. We are to be strong in the Lord. Look at this. And in the strength of his might. I mean, you got to remember that. That's key. I mean, none of us can stand against these spiritual forces of evil on our own, in our own strength. You can't, I can't. I mean, even with all the positive thinking that we might conjure up, (laughs) it doesn't work. I mean, not for a lifetime, not for a moment. 
this strengthening is something we have to, to, to outsource. It, 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 our strength is to come from Christ. And God is eager and willing to provide that strength. Any lack of, of the strength we have results from our neglect, from our refusal to seek it. Sometimes, I, you know, I, I got to admit, I, I go to the airport, I got to catch a plane, and typically <laughs> what happens is I, I, I come, you know, just at the last moment. And so I end up having to run, you know, to, to catch my plane. So what do I do? Well, I've learned, instead of to, uh, just to sprint the whole way, I've learned, hey, I can get on one of these moving sidewalks, and it will, it will, it will double my speed, you know, without doubling my effort. <laughs> when we walk in the Spirit, when we live in the strength of the Lord, he comes underneath us and bears us along in a similar manner. We'll still be walking. We still have to walk. But listen, we walk dependent upon him and upon his strength and his might, not on our own. So how do we do that? How can we be strong in the Lord? Well, continuing with this spiritual battle metaphor, Paul tells us that the way for us to be strong in the Lord is to put on the full armor of God. Look with me at verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. <laughs> um, this is the meat right here. Uh, this is the real practical stuff that he's going to give us. Here's how you and I can be strong in the Lord. In fact, this is so important to Paul that he mentions it another time in verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. When Paul refers to this full armor of God, he's describing the, the full equipment uh, of a heavily armored foot soldier. He's telling us what we have to do in order to be strong. We must put on the whole suit of armor. Not just, you know, one or two pieces. Not those pieces that just, you know, they're comfortable or easy to put on. <laughs> now look with me at the armor. He gives us a list of them. Verses 14 through 17. Start in verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Paul, did you catch this? He lists six pieces of armor here. The belt, the, the breastplate, the, the boots, the, the shield, the helmet, and the sword. That's the full armor of a foot soldier who would engage in hand-to-hand combat that that foot soldier would wear. But I want to suggest to you that Paul is talking about something more than just a, a, a Roman foot soldier. <laughs> In fact, he's also thinking about the armor of, of God himself. In Isaiah 11.5, and I think I have this up for you on the screen, Isaiah 11.5, God himself is described as wearing a belt. All right? In Isaiah 59, 17, God is pictured as, as wearing a, a, bless, a breastplate of righteousness and a, a helmet of salvation. <laughs> See, I think what Paul is doing is he's thinking of these passages and others like them as he's instructing these Ephesian believers how they are to be strong. And when we put on that full armor of God, you know what we're doing? 
We're putting on God's character. We're putting the character of God on. <laughs> We're to put on the belt of truth, he says. Not just uh, a telling of the truth, but the, a, a character quality of integrity, um, of, uh, of truthfulness. A soldier's belt was basically designed for two things. It was designed to protect his midsection and to give him a freedom of movement. Living according to the truth does the same for us, doesn't it? A commitment to living truthfully both protects us and gives us freedom. Along with the belt of truth, we were put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate uh, role was, <laughs> I mean, it's obvious, right? It was like a bulletproof vest for, for the foot soldier. It protected their most vital organs. And what was the breastplate made of? Righteousness. Paul here is talking about um, personal holiness. If, listen, if, if we are going to have any hope in this um, struggle that we, we, we face, if we're going to stand up against evil, it's essential that the moral quality of righteousness, that which he talks about earlier back in you know, chapter 5, chapter 4, that moral quality of righteousness, that that covers us. On our feet, we're to wear the boots, boots that will enable us to maintain solid footing and to be ready for action. It's through the gospel of peace that we can have that sure footing when difficulties come. The shield of faith is our next piece of armor. A shield uh, can be maneuvered to fend off all sorts of uh, missiles. Um, oftentimes in ancient warfare, what they would do was they would cover their shields with leather and then they would pre-soak them in water um, in order to extinguish the, the fiery arrows that might be dipped you know, into tar and, and set on fire and, and, and shot at them. I mean, without that type of preparation, what would happen is these, these shields uh, that, which were to protect them would, would become a threat because they would just suddenly go up in flames. That's what Paul is referring to here. As with our shields of faith, we can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. One other interesting aspect about how they used shields in, in, in ancient uh, warfare was the, the shields were... Um, about four feet tall and about two and a half, two to two and a half feet wide. And what they would do is they would become like a, a door. In fact, the Greek word for shield um, comes from that word door. So you can imagine these door-like shields um, would be held up. And when a group of soldiers were holding up their, their, their door-like shields um, and side by side. It could become very intimidating as they would make their way forward and march towards their, their, their enemy. It would become like a wall coming at them. And that's what Paul is referring to. In the context of Ephesians, that's the image he has in mind as he's talking to you and I as God's family. That we need each other. We need each other, and together with our shields of faith, then we can advance on the kingdom of God. We can advance the kingdom of God in our world. We can protect and encourage one another with our shields of faith. Next, we have the helmet of salvation. Paul is talking 
uh, about the way we think. Salvation includes the forgiveness of our sins and the confidence we have in our identity in Christ. Do you know why I can't give in to despair no matter how bad things get? (laughs) Because God's salvation protects my head. When I think about what he has done for me and all that he promises me, I can't believe in despair. Even in the darkest days. Do you know why I'm not very good at worrying? (laughs) Um, Because God's salvation protects my head. See, when I think about God's salvation, it's difficult to see that anything is beyond his control. And if he's in control, why worry? Wearing this helmet will give us the the confidence that nothing, absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God. Finally, we're to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Listen, out of the the six pieces of armor that, that Paul gives us here, this is the only piece that's offensive. Um, That is, all the other pieces of the armor are used for defensive uh, purposes. But the Word of God, the Word of God is our means of resisting Satan as the liar. Jesus said Satan is a liar, right? That he's the father of lies and there's no truth in him. So how do you defend against Satan's lies? Well, there's only one weapon, and that's the truth of God's word. Can I ask you, is there any greater motivation for reading, studying, memorizing God's word than that? Friends, that's the armor of God. And for us to be strong in the Lord in the midst of this battle... Listen, what we need to do is we need to put on the whole armor. But there's one more thing that we have to do. With that armor on, Paul insists that we cover it all with prayer. Pray always, he says. Look with me at verse 18. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. He says all, all the time in that verse, doesn't he? And four times, um, uh, he uses that word, uh, pray, supplication. Um, it's as if Paul is saying there's, there's nothing that cannot be prayed for, and there is not a situation in which prayer is a waste of your time. Spiritual battle, friends, requires prayer above all, to cover all. Here's a simple challenge that I want to give you this morning. Develop the habit to make prayer your first resort, would you? Make prayer your first resort. Before you do anything else, pray. When you get up in the morning, before you interact with your family, pray just a quick prayer. Say, God, you know, help me. uh, uh, Help me help them, you know, get off to a, a good start today. When you walk into your workplace, you know, pray a quick prayer. God, help me to do your work today um, for for your glory and help me to treat my coworkers with dignity and and, and respect. 
before you make a phone call, before you speak to a client, before you go to a meeting, <laughs> pray. In traffic, pray. In stressful situations, pray. Listen, in every event throughout the day, on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers, pray, friends, pray. Martin Luther once said, as it is the business of tailors to make clothes and of cobblers to mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. Pray. Prayer is your greatest weapon in spiritual warfare. So use it. That's Paul's winning strategy for all of us. That's how we're to live this Christian life. We're in a battle, friends. And and it will require us to be strong in the Lord by putting on the armor of God and living in complete dependence upon him through prayer. And this strength strength will result in what? (laughs) It will result in us standing firm. Look with me at verse 11 again. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Look down with me at verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore. (laughs) Listen, standing firm is is a military term for holding on to a position. Before an offensive can be launched, um, one must first of all maintain his own ground. Now listen, it's not a passive or static term. Rather, it's an active word here. Standing firm takes effort. It, it, it takes work. It takes courage. It is something we must do in order to prevail in the battle. On July 21st, 1861, raw Yankee recruits marched toward the Confederate Army camping at Bull Run, 30 miles southwest of Washington, D.C. The Union soldiers were overconfident (laughs) and they acted like they were kind of headed to a a sporting event. Congressmen and and ladies and all sorts of spectators trailed along with lunch baskets in order to uh, observe all of the fun. (laughs) But the courage of the Confederates who stood their ground like a stone wall, hence giving their leader Thomas Jackson, his nickname. And the arrival of Confederate reinforcements threw the Union forces into a a, a panic, even though the Union had superior forces. One observer wrote this, We called to them, tried to tell them there was no danger, called them to stop, implored them to stand. We called them cowards, denounced them in the most offensive terms, but all in vain, a cruel, crazy, mad, hopeless panic possessed them. Have you felt a mad, hopeless panic recently? Paul is imploring us to stand firm in this spiritual battle. If you want to prevail in life's struggle, you have to stand firm. And if you want to stand firm, you have to be strong in the Lord and you have to put on that full armor of God and pray at all times. So here's my invitation. 
Identify what you need in order to prepare for this battle, would you? Take a moment. Maybe for you, you need to put on that, that, that belt of truth that's been missing. Or, or, or you need to take up that shield of faith with others. You need to get in a community where you can take up that shield of faith together. Or maybe you need to put on that helmet of salvation and understand your identity in Christ because you're in Christ and who you are and all Christ has done for you. Maybe you need to develop that habit of prayer. That habit of prayer. Praying at all times with perseverance. What do you need to do in order to stand firm in this battle? That's no doubt here that you're dealing with daily. Here's what I'm going to invite you to do. Take a moment. I'm going to give you just a moment. I want you to identify maybe that piece of armor or, or what you need to do to stand firm, to be strong. Write it down on the bottom of your outline. What is it? It's your assignment. Take a moment. Preschooler Denny came to class one morning, bubbling with excitement, having played t-ball. We won our game, he cheered. Did you get any hits, his teacher asked. Yes, and I got some scratches too, he said. (laughs) Friends, can I tell you, we too are guaranteed to win the game. But we will take some hits. And we'll get some scratches along the way. So prepare for the battle. Be strong in the Lord. So they're able to stand firm in the midst of the battle. I want to close this morning by quoting Martin Luther's great hymn, A Mighty, Mighty Fortress. And as the worship team comes up, let me read for you just the second verse of this great hymn. Listen to these words. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabbath, his name, from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. Let us take confidence in that truth.